You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at mulvanechurch.com slash sermons. We'll be opening to the book of Genesis, the 15th chapter. We will be studying from that passage of scripture. The book of Genesis, the 15th chapter. If anyone is a student of the book of Genesis, then it quickly becomes apparent that Abraham is a key figure in that book, and that continues on throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. The importance and the significance of Abraham is amazing because he becomes the exemplar of what it means to live by faith. And we see in the New Testament, we see through the teachings of Paul that, and James as well, that he sets the standard of what it is to be a faithful man or woman in Christ. You see that he sets the standard. He is the prototype of what it is. But what we also see in the book of Genesis are his shortcomings. We see his failures. But we also get to see him overcome and rise above those things to become this great man and hero of faith. And what is interesting, as you see throughout the book of Genesis and the narrative of Abraham's life, God appeared to Abraham several times to make promises to him. We know probably very well in Genesis chapter 12 where God appeared to Abram and told him that he would make of him a great nation, that he would bless him, that he would give him this land that he would show him, and that through his seed all nations of the earth might be blessed. And he made that kind of promise to a man who was childless and had been childless for many years. And as the book of Genesis and the narrative of Abraham unfolds, you see God's dealings with him and how he orchestrates certain things to bring about those promises. And in Genesis chapter 15, we have another instance where God appears to Abram. And Abram seems to be teetering a little bit. I think Genesis chapter 15 is a critical moment in the life of Abraham. Because he has been trying to serve God. He's been worshiping God. He's been going where God has shown him. And he has heard these promises about the land. Yet, this seed that's going to come from him, he hasn't seen that take place yet. And we all struggle with that whenever we have been told something that you're going to receive this. We start wanting it. We start anticipating it. We start beginning to be excited for it. And that's what Abraham, I believe, is doing. And yet, he's like, I haven't seen it yet. So maybe I need to help God out a little bit. In chapter 15 of the book of Genesis, in verse 2, it says, Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus, and Abram said, Since you have given no offspring to me, one born in my house is my heir. 
Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body. He shall be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. He said, O Lord God, how may I know that I will possess it? And he continues on with some certain events there in chapter 15 that we just don't have time to look at. But what you see in this conversation between Abraham and God is Abraham's trying to reckon that, God, you've promised that I would have an heir, yet I don't have a son. I have one here, Elijah of Damascus, that I could appoint as my heir. I could adopt him and make him my son, at least from a legal standpoint. But God says, no. One is going to come from your own body. Later on, he clarifies, God promises and and clarifies that promise in particular. And he says, it's also going to be coming from your own wife, Sarah's body as well. But what he tries to get us to see is that Abraham overcame some struggles and some doubts even whenever God's time was not matching up with Abraham's time timeline. And we intentionally skipped over verse 1 because that's really the thrust of where we're going to look at our lesson this morning. Because in verse 1 we have some words that Abraham, I believe, needed to hear at this juncture. He needed to be given some words of encouragement, some words of admonition. In Genesis chapter 15 and in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to to you. Your reward shall be very great. You think about those words and that statement in the context of what Abraham is Thinking, as he is waiting for God to fulfill these promises, and as he has been trying to serve God, I wouldn't say that Abraham is at a crisis of faith or anything at this point, but he's just beginning to wonder, how is God going to orchestrate all of this? How is God going to bring this about in my life? And we've all had those kinds of things. We've all had decisions that we've had to make, whether it be about a job or about a place to live. We've all had questions and we've wondered, how is God going to accomplish this in our life? That we believe God can do something amazing with this opportunity. That God will fulfill His word and His promises. But we need that exhortation. And God has some words for the faithful. And these words were directed particularly to Abraham and in his situation. But I believe there are some very important lessons that we can learn from these words as well, that these words to the faithful 
can apply to anyone who is living by faith. And the first thing that we need to see is that he says in verse 1, do not fear. That we need to choose faith and not fear. Even when people have a strong faith like Abraham, he has a certain time and a tendency to give in to temptation and to doubt. Abraham was not a perfect man. Even though he has been shown to be this great example of faith, in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 4, Paul, he looks to Abraham as this prototypical example of what it is to be living by faith. In Romans chapter 4 and in verse 2, he says, For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Where does Paul go? He goes to the events of chapter 15 in the book of Genesis. He goes to Genesis chapter 15. And he goes on in this chapter, in chapter uh, 4 of Romans, and in verse 12, he's talking about Abraham as the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham which he had while uncircumcised. That Abraham is the example of faith for Jew and for Gentile. For the circumcised and for the uncircumcised. That if you want to understand what faith really looks like, you look to Abraham. In Hebrews chapter 11, in Hebrews chapter 11, the Hebrew writer, in the great chapter of faith and looking at heroes and the men and women of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 8 it says by faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going Abraham was obedient that's the kind of faith he had as Paul says we need to follow in the steps of Abraham Abraham was an obedient man That's what it is to be faithful. But even the strong in faith have to deal with temptation. And they need words of encouragement. One of my heroes in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. I love looking at the Apostle Paul. I love considering his life. I love how he can uh, be so stalwart in his faith and his approach to preaching the gospel. I sometimes sympathize with him whenever he seems to be a little annoyed at people, and I can uh, relate to that. But in Acts chapter 18, as Paul is in the city of Corinth, and it's a terribly wicked city, and he has been there for some time, he has seen some people turn to the Lord, and he says in Acts chapter 18 and verse 9, Luke records, it says, And the Lord said to Paul, In the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. Have you ever thought of Paul as being afraid? I mean, I had never thought about Paul being afraid to preach the gospel. He makes it look so easy. But there are times where people need encouragement, even heroes like Paul or people like Abraham who are dealing with some kind of doubt or some kind of struggle and they're trying to reconcile with what they see with what God has said will happen. 
And Abraham seems to be in need of some reassurance of God's promises. Because Abraham was 75 years old around this time. And at the time of Ishmael's birth, he was 86 years old. So from Genesis chapter 12, when we're first introduced to Abraham, he is 75. At the time of Ishmael's birth, at the end of chapter 16, he is 86 years old. We're sometime in that 11-year time span. And Abraham was doubting and fearful that his time was spent having a child of his own, that there was no opportunity for that to take place. What's interesting is that he even seems to indict God a little bit in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 3. He says, since you have given me no offspring. Abram does seem to be shifting that blame towards God. We've all been there. We've all faced that kind of struggle. And he seems to be letting fear creep in and doubt begin to bother him. And so when God says, do not fear, Abram, we need to take those words very seriously. He needed to take them and we need to take them. When we begin to start doubting whether God is going to accomplish what He says, we need to trust. We need to have faith in God. We don't need to give in to fear. We see that Abram in his walk, he was susceptible to giving into fear. In chapter 12, right after God makes these promises to Abraham, and after we've been introduced to him, he goes down to Egypt. Perhaps you'll remember. And he comes to Egypt and he's so afraid that the Pharaoh is going to see his wife Sarah and want her for himself And so they concoct a plan and it makes no sense to me why they would do this, but they say, let's just tell Pharaoh that you're my sister and he can take you. In Genesis chapter 12 and verses 12 and 13, it says, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. They will kill me, but they will let you live. You see, Abram is fearful for his own safety. He wants his wife to live. He goes on in verse 13, Please say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that I may live on account of you. I think Abraham is being motivated more by fear here. In chapter 20, we have a very similar kind of incident with Abimelech. And we learn that this is something that seemed to be a pretty common practice for Abraham and Sarah. In chapter 16 in Genesis, after they still have not been given this child from God, Sarah gets the plan and the idea, well, Abram, you take my handmaiden, Hagar. And it says in Genesis chapter 16 and verse 2, So Sarai said to Abram, Now behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Please go into my maid. Perhaps I will obtain children through her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. He gives in to the, to the sounds 
and his voice, the voice of his wife. He listened to her. Which I think is kind of a hyperlink back to the story of Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Where we learn that Adam listened to the voice of his wife. And sin took place. Chapter 16 in the life of Abraham is not a beautiful moment in his walk with the Lord. Because he sins. He heeded what Sarah told him. He conceded to that plan. He acted on fear. He concedes to wrong avenues of trying to accomplish God's plan and helping God out a little bit. Abram's faith was imperfect at times. We see that. He lies. He is willing to cheat. But his faith grows strong. As we've already alluded to after he was called by God, he left his homeland, he was obedient in Hebrews chapter 11 and Genesis chapter 12. We learn that he was obedient in chapter 12 and chapter 13. After God gives him these promises, he worships God, he trusts in God, he honors the Lord, he believed God, we learn here in chapter 15 and verse 6. Later in chapter 17, he is circumcised. When God tells him to be circumcised, he's circumcised that very day. With no delay. Abraham is an obedient man. And as we come to think of the pinnacle moment of his faith in chapter 22, when God says, go offer your son as a burnt offering, that son whom you love, your only son, the only son of promise. Go offer him as a burnt offering. And Abraham does he's willing to go and you'll remember that the angel of the lord comes and he steadies his hand and does not allow him to kill his son and hebrews the hebrew writer he gives us a little bit of a commentary there on those actions in hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 19 he's describing what abraham was feeling and thinking and what's going on in abraham's mind and it says he considered that god is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham didn't know what was going to happen, but he certainly trusted that God could raise his son back from the dead. There are all things that we face in life that are going to cause us to be afraid. Abraham was no exception. Temptation to sin will cause us to be afraid. And we might give in to that temptation because of our fear. We might lie. We might deceive. We might cheat. We might do something that is wrong and sinful in the sight of God. We might hurt a brother or sister with our words and with our actions. And we might sin against them. We might steal. We might take from them. That temptation can become so strong that our faith just will collapse. It will not hold up under that pressure. So we lie, we do drugs, we commit fornication, other things that might cause us to become afraid, loss of reputation, influence, financial problems. When we get in dire straits, 
because of family problems or health and well-being, when we get afraid because we are facing sickness or illness, look to the words that God gives to Abram. Do not be afraid. Choose faith, not fear. Those are some powerful words. And I think we need to trust that God wants us as His faithful, as His children, He wants us to know and to believe those things. He wants us to live by faith, not by fear. The second point that we see in this verse, in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, is do not fear, Abram, I am a shield to you. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? That God describes Himself to Abram as a shield. And that term shield, it is related to the word delivered. And I think we need to go back into chapter 14 a little bit of the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 14, at the end of that chapter, Abram meets a man named Melchizedek, and there's a lot that we can say about Melchizedek. He is a king, he's a high priest before God Almighty. And he blesses Abraham, and Abraham recognizes him, and he gives him tribute, he gives him, pays tithes to him. But in Genesis chapter 14, and in verse 20, in the words of Melchizedek, he says, And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. That word delivered, it comes from the same word that we get in chapter 15 and verse 1, where it says, shield, I am a shield to you. And what's interesting is in Genesis chapter 14, Abram knows what it's like to be delivered. He knows what it is like to be delivered from safety. Because in Genesis chapter 14, we get this war that is taking place. And you'll remember in chapter 13 that Abram's nephew Lot chose to go live in the valley of the Jordan. He chose to live near Sodom and Gomorrah. And in chapter 14, this war takes place. And the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah were involved with this rebellion. And there's this coalition that forms. And in chapter 14 and verse 1 it says, And it came about in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elisar, uh, and so, several others. I'm not going to try to pronounce all those names. I know I would butcher them all. He says that they began to make war with the kings of the south. And they begin to form this coalition. And there's these four kings that were towards the north and the east of the Euphrates. And then you have the kings in chapter 14 and verse 2. There are five kings. These kings rebel from the kings of the east of the Euphrates. And it's this really interesting scenario that takes place. And the kings of the south, they are forced to retreat. In the midst of this war, the kings of the north capture some of the armies of the kings of the south. And Lot, Abraham's nephew, is one of those. In verse 12, 
it says they also took Lot, Abram's nephew, and his possessions and departed for he was living in Sodom. And what you begin to see there is that Abram just picks up and he goes. He goes to rescue his nephew. In chapter 14 and verse 13, it says, Then a fugitive came and told Abram the Hebrew. Now he was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite brother of Eschol and brother of Aner, and these were allies with Abram. When Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he led out his trained men, born in his house 318, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. He divided his forces against them by night and his servants and defeated them and pursued them as far as Hobah, which is north of Damascus. He brought back all the goods and also brought back his relative Lot with his possessions and also the women and the people. Here's Abram, just one man. Just one man. Yes, he might have been well off. Yes, he might have been rich. Yes, he has 318 servants in his charge. But here you have in this this war, you have nine kings total. You have four kings who Abraham is opposing, who are in war against one another. And the number of soldiers that those kings would have had would have greatly outnumbered the 318 servants that Abraham had. And Abram goes with his servant army. They would have just would have been a fraction. And so how do you imagine Abram has any kind of success in that moment? And yet he goes and he rescues Lot. And he brings back other people, the women and children and those who might have been taken captive. And Melchizedek, as Abram is... Coming back home, he meets Melchizedek, king of Salem, which is interestingly the city of Jerusalem. Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. Melchizedek helps us understand all of this, doesn't he? He helps us see that Abram had success because of God. Because God was with him. I find it interesting that the number of 318 is very similar to the number of Gideon's army. 300 in the book of Judges. God can do some great things with people who are small in number. Numbers don't really translate to success, or large numbers don't always translate to success. So no matter how big or small our churches may be, if we are serving God, then that's what truly matters. Melchizedek, he tells us that it was God who gave Abraham success and who 
God delivered all of the enemies into Abraham's hand. We need to learn to enjoy God's protection and God's deliverance. That is the message that God wants Abraham to realize. That I am a shield to you. And you think about the words of the Psalms in Psalm 18. In Psalm 18 and in verse 2, when David describes God, as he is describing Yahweh, he says, The Lord, Yahweh, is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. What powerful words that give us hope and confidence that when we have God, we can be victorious. In the New Testament, in the New Testament, in the book of Ephesians in chapter 6, as Paul describes how we are to put on the full armor of God, and he says in particular in verse 16, in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Have you noticed that? That any arrow, all the arrows of the evil one, he says, we can overcome and be victorious. What hope? What confidence that if we are ready and prepared for battle, if we take that shield of faith against Satan, when we have clothed ourselves with the full armor of God, God is a protection for us. A passage that we looked at on Thursday night, Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 36, where Paul says, Just as it is written for your sake, we are being put to death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That we can be victorious over any of that. Because of Christ's suffering, because of His death, because of His resurrection, we can be victorious. Because of what God has accomplished through His Son, we are prepared for battle and we can enjoy God's protection. As God's children, as those who are seeking to live by faith, and walk by faith and not by sight, we need to realize that. And as we get up and we go to work, as we go to school, as we interact with our friends and our neighbors, and as we see sin around us and temptation around us, 
And if we go ready for battle to do what is right, there's victory. God wanted Abram to realize that. I am a shield to you. And if we have God on our side, then we are set for success. That's something that we need to trust in. And so what God's message to Abram and His words to the faithful, choose faith and not fear. Enjoy my protection. And then finally what we see as he says in chapter 15 and verse 1 of the book of Genesis, your reward shall be very great. Your reward shall be very great. That's something that we all need to hear, isn't it? We need to be reminded that we will receive a great reward for living by faith. Living by faith isn't easy. Let's be honest. It can be very challenging, can't it? Abram had to wait a long time for God's promises to be fulfilled. It's not that God wasn't powerful enough to fulfill them just like that. Sometimes God wants us to learn patience. He wants us to learn to wait. But that doesn't mean that God is unwilling to offer encouragement Many times when we face struggles, we offer words of encouragement, and yet sometimes we just don't know what to say, do we? But God in His perfection and in His infinite wisdom, He offers exactly what we need to hear. And He wants Abram to be reminded of a great reward that lies before him. In chapter 15 and verse 6, Abram believed God. Scriptures say. And eventually Abram, Abraham and Sarah were blessed with a son, Isaac. And you notice in chapter 15 of Genesis, in verse 7, God promised to Abraham again that I brought you out of the land of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess it. And that is something that is a promise that's reiterated again to Isaac, Abraham's son. In chapter 26 of Genesis, in chapter 26 and in verse 4, God speaks to Isaac and He says, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and will give your descendants all these lands and by your descendants all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. What I love about this is what God says to Isaac here. He says, look at your father. Look at his obedience. Look at his faithfulness. We really want to understand what faith is. It's going to involve faithfulness, obedience, doing and trusting what God has said. That's how the book of James helps us really understand what faith is. It's how the Apostle Paul defines faith. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 5, it's described as the obedience of faith. Faithfulness. 
That's what Abraham lived by. And because of his obedience, because of his faith and his faithfulness, God promised to give Abraham's descendants this land. And Abraham seemed to understand that he himself was not going to inherit that land in his lifetime. That God was orchestrating things for his descendants, for those who would come from him and after him. And how many times do we put ourselves in that kind of perspective? When we think about what God is doing in our life, do we think, are we just waiting for God to give us what He has promised? Or do we think, maybe God is going to benefit and be there for my children or my grandchildren? What kind of legacy am I trying to live and show them an example that they can enjoy these promises? In Hebrews chapter 11, In Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. Notice that. He's looking for a city that wasn't built by men. It's interesting that we are introduced to Abraham right after the events of the Tower of Babel, right? Where they're trying to build this great city to make a name for themselves. And it's like, right after that, we're introduced to Abraham. And what the Hebrew writer says is that Abraham was looking for a city not like Babel, not like a city that was built by men, but a city whose architect and builder is God. Later on in verse 13, as he's describing these people of faith like Abraham and Sarah, he says, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What Abraham understood was that God wasn't just promising a physical place. He was promising an eternal place, an eternal dwelling, an eternal city. And because of Abraham's faith in God, he was granted that. When Abraham died in Genesis chapter 25, In chapter 25 of the book of Genesis, 
We see that Abraham had lived to be 175 years old. He died at a ripe old age, the scriptures say. And because Abram had obeyed God and kept his words, because Abraham looked beyond this life, and he looked to that heavenly reward, that heavenly city, he finally got to attain that. So much of the devil's power that he has over us is because he has the here and the now, doesn't he? He can say, hey, you want some satisfaction right now? Here it is. Take it. All you got to do is have it right now. You don't have to wait for it. God requires us to wait sometimes, doesn't He? Abraham did not take his focus off of what's beyond this life. Don't be distracted by the here and the now. Look for what's beyond this life. That's how Abraham lived by faith. Abraham trusted the words of God. And in Hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 39, as he describes and he concludes all these things about these men and women of faith, people that he didn't even have time to really dive into and talk about. He says, And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us, so that apart from us, they would not be made Abraham's faith helps us understand something so critical and so important. Now we have the promise of a great reward that's not a part of this life. There are things that Abraham was promised that he never saw come to fruition. He saw hints of it. He didn't see the great nation that would come from him. He never was with Moses, for instance, with the children of Israel. He didn't see Joshua go and take the land. What he did have was faith in God. Trust in God's promises. Trust in God's word. And I can't help but think that it came back to these words in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. If you ever find yourself struggling in life, And wondering, is God actually going to do what He says? 
Choose faith, not fear. That leads to sin. Enjoy God's protection. God is a shield to you. And when you're facing temptation, when you face the struggles that come with life, God is our rock. He is our protection. He is our deliverer. And He has given us His Son, Jesus Christ, who is the seed that came from Abraham that would bless all nations. Because of Jesus and His death and His resurrection, we are more than conquerors. We are delivered. And we can be saved. And if we continue to live by faith, doing what God says, obeying His Word, obeying His laws, obeying His commands, then we can receive that great reward. God gives. God makes precious promises that we all hope to attain. He is our shield. He is our protector. He is our defender. And He is with us and He will deliver us from evil. We need to live like Abraham did. We need to live by faith. Looking to God's word listening to His laws and His commands and what God has told us to do. And we need to be willing to submit our life to Him. Live with faith and courage. Having confidence in God. Living lives of faithfulness, loyalty, and obedience to Him. And if we do that, then we can have the promise of eternal life in heaven with Him. This morning, if you're not right with God, we want to encourage you to make your life right with the Lord. If you need to become a Christian and be clothed with Christ in baptism, we'd love to help you do that. And if you need to respond this morning through after having become a child of God and not living faithfully, not living like Abraham, maybe you've given in to doubt, maybe you've given in to temptation, you've sinned, you've fallen away, you've not been obedient to Him. Will you not make some changes and corrections in your life? If we can help you in some way this morning, would you come now as we stand and as we sing? Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.